What's up, everybody? Welcome to the View from Jamestown podcast edition. This is episode 23, and I'm sitting down this afternoon with Steve Friedewald. Steve, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ben. Hi, everybody. Appreciate you taking the time. Looking forward to the, uh, the conversation. Uh, where, whereabouts in the world are you these days? Just landed in San Antonio preparing for World Petrochemicals and then followed up with the AFPM uh, schedule of meetings. Yeah, looking forward to it. Came up, feels like it came up pretty quick this year, and we've got a, got a gr- good group of people coming down from TCC, so looking forward to the, to the weekend and next week, of course. Yeah, it's a busy week. Uh, I think you've got a great schedule. I've got a bunch of appointments as well. I hope the weather holds out. We've got a golf outing on the Saturday, so fingers crossed, no thunderstorms, and we can get out and about. Yeah, San Antonio is a great city. Obviously, I think it's even greater when it's when it's sunny outside. So let's pray for some some sunshine next week. Uh, yep. but, but yeah, appreciate you taking the time. Um, maybe to kick things off, you want to just give the uh, give the listeners a little background on yourself and, and kind of some some of your history and and the things you focus on these days. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, I've been around a long time. I guess I was just thinking about that preparing for your podcast. Thirty five years in petrochemicals, unbelievable time flew. I had a lot of fun. I was a long time with Herc Salonese and Oxaya. And in the end, I was senior vice president and uh, responsible for the P&L of the Oxo businesses. Uh, seven years under private equity, uh, we spun off the company from Herc Salonese in 07. And we were seven years under advent. Uh, and then uh, the company landed in 2013 with Oman Oil Company. Uh, so I was there for two and a half years through the end of June 2016. And since, let's say, the end of 16. I've been supporting uh, the chemical company uh, going to market with the Sabic Oxo alcohols and working with business development to build up solvent portfolio. I have a consulting business that I kicked off on the 1st of July, uh, 2016. So I also work with other uh, producers on their strategy, leadership, uh, sales, marketing, and procurement. Yeah, it's a great background. And I know me personally, kind of coming out of college and coming right to the chemical industry, it's been invaluable to, to have your, uh, thoughts and, and things coming around. It's great to have you as, as an asset from TCC and, and myself personally. So appreciate your your insight into the industry and definitely have learned a lot in the last couple of years. It's a lot of fun working with a small company, a family-owned company. We're a good team and uh, very happy to be part of the team. I've had a lot of fun in these last two and a half years. You know, it's a lot different. I was PL responsible for about 16 years and in the end for 1.4 billion euros. And now I get up every morning, I look in the mirror and I have to go outside and make something happen in the market. So it's a lot different, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a lot of good experience to take into today and I would assume maybe a little bit little bit less stressful than uh, than some of those older days. Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun, totally enjoying it. Thanks for the opportunity to chat, Ben. Sure thing, sure thing. Uh, jumping right into it. So most recently you were down at the uh, Sarah Week. I apologize if I say that incorrectly. Yeah, but, uh, Sierra Week. So it's a, an acronym. We love our acronyms in oh, chemicals. Yeah. Oh, this yeah. is for uh, <laughs> Cambridge Energy Research Associates. It's really oil and gas, high level. It's about the energy industry. And what were some of the big uh, big talking points? Obviously, I think the chemical industry and kind of the infrastructure uh, industry has a lot different things going on. And from some of the notes you sent over, it sounds like there was a lot of good discussions and presentations and things like that. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? What were some of the big the big topics down there? Yeah, I'll never forget some of the um, presentations I, I, I was in. This is probably my fifth uh, Sierra week in 10 years, let's say. And, you know, I think it was the actually the 10th anniversary of the first discussion of the impact that shale gas was having in the total value chain, where the crude oil, natural gas all the way through petrochemicals. And now we've got all of this $280 billion of investment, which is going in in Texas and Louisiana 10 years ago. So it was the 10th anniversary. 
of that first, you know, discussion, how this was going to be uh, a huge impact. And we thought at the time it wasn't clear whether it was a bubble in the short term, but now it's certainly sustainable with the record production coming out of Permian. United States is now energy independent. And in terms of total uh, shale gas and shale oil, oil, a bigger energy producer than Russia and Saudi Arabia. So, again, that was the big talking point, as well as uh, really other forms of energy, uh, advanced nuclear and the renewables. Renewables have really uh, lowered cost by a fraction of what they were five or ten years ago. Um, you know, solar and wind uh, is making much more of an impact on the electricity supply globally. Also here in the United States, despite shale gas. Other talking points were the fourth industrial revolution. You know, this artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the way that computing on the edge with all of these sensors can really help predictive analytics, improve reliability in petrochemicals. Also, you know, the grid. Uh, we're talking about all this electrification of the vehicle fleet, the EV and the AV, automatic vehicles, self-driving cars. And that really has to be enabled by an electricity grid, which is five times bigger in terms of infrastructure than we have today. That's remarkable. And then I went to some breakouts about the batteries, you know, lighter weight batteries, more powerful, and also longer last, lasting batteries. Uh, and then we talked a lot about carbon capture and sequestration. Uh, you know, there's greenhouse gas, gases, global warming. And so there's a big initiative over all of the energy sector into chemicals as well to carbon capture and sequester and then perhaps reuse. There were some interesting breakouts about using carbon instead of steel in uh, building structures and instead of other forms of substrates in building structures. So that was very interesting for me as well. But also plastics. We in the chemicals and plastics, you know, plastics is very much on the front page for the very wrong reasons. So a lot about plastics and sustainability, a closed loop, recovering that plastics and reusing them, find, finding other uses for the plastics. And also, um, you know, of the 400 million tonnes of plastics that are produced in the, in the world every year, about 4% of it is found in the ocean, basically 10 oceans in Southeast Asia, of which the Ganges is the largest. So that's a big problem. It's on the front page for all the wrong reasons as far as we're concerned in the chemical and plastics industry, that's for sure. So those are, it sounds like a lot, uh, but I'm happy to talk with you all about any of these particular hot topics. Uh, you know, with this uh, shale oil and shale gas, I think the United States will continue to invest in downstream petrochemicals on the propylene chain and the ethylene chain. And, and I think we're in pretty good shape. Yeah, sounds like sounds like quite the week down there. A lot of good uh, conversations, different things going on. Um, you know, a lot of good just kind of overall topics as well as you know things that will either directly or or indirectly you know impact the chemical industry. Kind of no matter where in the supply chain you are with the chemical industry. Uh, obviously, we do a lot with the plastics type of businesses, and that's obviously a a big topic for a lot of our you know people we deal with more downstream. Um, but kind of all those topics are are kind of big topics going on. Um, you know, worldwide and obviously specifically with the with the chemical industry. Yeah, the 5G thing was also a remarkable breakout session. They had General Stephen Quast, U.S. Air Force, responsible for the uh, administration strategy around 5G, and he talked about Huawei, the way that they're rolling it out. They've signed up 60 countries in the world, and so Ericsson, Nokia, and um, and Cisco are the only other alternates, and, and they're all far behind. Huawei, 
So the point is that that uh, 5G network is so much more powerful than what we have at the moment, 4G. And you probably know more about this than me, Ben, but I was told that once you know a device is on a 5G network, that data on that device is instantly available to other, other uh, players on that 5G network. There's just no encryption uh, technique which would stop someone seeing the data on your device once you're on that 5G network at this point. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's it's definitely an interesting technology. I think it's kind of like that that blockchain buzzword. Everyone wants to know all about it. Everyone wants to try to implement it as best they can and be the first ones on it. And it's definitely true. It's, it's something you don't appreciate. You know, I was down in uh, the D- Dominican Republic a couple weeks ago, and you don't fully appreciate how strong of an internet connection we have. And, you know, I, I travel right. down there with a laptop and a phone and an iPad. You don't fully appreciate the the high quality internet, you know, we have in the States versus some other, you know, kind of non well, or less developed places. Quicker, I think, Ben. Yeah, uh, 5G no, exactly. was described to me as moving from a fax machine to, you know, a laptop computer. You probably don't remember those days having a fax <laughs> machine, but it's that sort of step change. The speed is just going to be unbelievable. Which, and, and by today's standards, I mean, it's, we're not, it's not bad. You know, today's connections aren't bad. So it's amazing thinking about, you know, what the possibilities yeah, could the be. the step change can soon. be instantaneously unbelievable. So it was fascinating. You're right. They talked about blockchain. I didn't check in on those, but this is some sort of crypto ledger where you can just totally integrate with your suppliers and your customers. They talked a lot about Amazon Web Services and Microsoft was there talking about computing on the cloud. And uh, I shared those presentations as well to you guys. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of great info. Definitely appreciate you sending those over. And I'm sure a lot of that info is available um, online, you know, just kind of the general public. I'll make sure to link some of those up in the show notes. If you scroll down wherever you're streaming this podcast from, we'll make sure those whatever links that are publicly available, you know, we'll make sure we get those out uh, to anyone that might be interested. Um, it sounds like a pretty good transition, too, to some of these kind of big geopolitical trends that are impacting the chemical industry. You know, I think a lot of what you just mentioned and talked about and a lot of the conversations from last week, obviously, either directly or indirectly, will impact the chemical industry. Uh, but what's, what are some of the other big geopolitical trends, you know, kind of moving away from those topics that are, that are impacting the chemical industry today that you're, you're following closely? Yeah, it's the energy independence, I think, Ben, uh, and that's going to enable a lot further continued investment in infrastructure and petrochemicals in the United States. So from my point of view, you know, uh, U.S. is going to continue to be uh, the energy uh, capital and also downstream, as well as Canada, actually. Canada's got quite a lot of capacities coming on up in the Alberta industrial heartland. Um, We've seen two PDH units be announced in that part of the world uh, with really no downstream uh, capacity to consume. So they're building polypropylene, and they're looking at building other forms of propylene derivatives, acrylates, uh, other forms of propylene derivatives, perhaps OXO, no announcement yet. So it's not just in Houston and up in Pennsylvania, but also in Canada. So it's it's NAFTA which is doing well. But but as you said, the other factor for me is, you know, the economy. How is the economy running? We saw a slowdown from my point of view. There was some discussion about slower growth. Uh, in 2019 compared to 2018, but no recession. Let's say slower growth, maybe we were growing at two and a half. Maybe this year it's more like 1% growth. And we started off pretty slow because of the shutdown of the government, I think, and a lack of consumer confidence, as well as higher interest rates in 2018. There was destocking for sure. And so a kind of mixed bag. I didn't hear that there was any certainty There never is. In hindsight, people are always much better about saying, I knew there was going to be a recession than forecasting a recession. But no one was saying 
in 2020 or 2021 we should start to plan for a recession. Most pundits, and IHS included, were saying it's probably a 50-50 chance of 2020, uh, but it's been a very, uh, let's say, um, long expansion at a lower rate than other expansions coming out of a recession. So it's probably 50-50. And on the other hand, it's probably going to be self-induced by some sort of mistake. Uh, whether it's uh, raising interest rates or whether it's a failure to settle these trade wars uh, with China. And and the big topic there was really uh, most folks were talking about a ceasefire in the trade war uh, with China. That is no further implementation and to leave the current regime in place, Uh, settle the agreements about intellectual property, agricultural purchases and so forth, but essentially a ceasefire. Uh, in terms of, you know, the other hot topic we had, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and also the ambassadors from Venezuela talk about that horrible situation in Venezuela. They described it as, you know, four times worse than the global financial crisis. The country's running out of medicine, food and essential items. You know, their oil production has collapsed from 3.5 million barrels per day to less than a million barrels per day. And so it, it's just such a horrible situation in Venezuela that really the only thing that will get them out of that predicament is really regime change. And that's why the government, the administration, United States administration will pursue those policies and to get, uh, I think his name is um, uh, Guaido uh, to replace Maduro. Yeah, and we had uh, we had Javier Fernandez, our Latin American operations manager, I think, on the most two recent View podcasts we did. Mm-hmm. Um, had him had him on there talking about that situation. So anyone listening, that's you know, like some more background on that. We had uh, Javier did a good kind of overview explanation of the the Venezuela situation and, and the big players on that. If anyone needs more info on that, definitely a lot lot going on, a lot to keep an eye on. Yeah, we had the Citco chairwoman talk to us about it as well, Luisa Palacios, and she said that her company is ready to invest that once this is resolved and there's a change of regime, you know, there's a lot of investment needed uh, to get Venezuela oil production and the economy back on track. You're talking billions of dollars. Sure. And that, and that sounds positive. It sounds like obviously a big, big player in the chemical industry willing to make that investment. I'm sure that's, that's positive for Venezuela, for the country itself, as well as kind of the state of the chemical industry, you know, big picture. Um, and I guess so, so from what you're talking about, too, I guess taking a step back to with the U.S.-China trade relations, I know it's been a big topic for probably the last six months or so with us. You know, we don't TCC itself doesn't do too much with China, but obviously a big um, talking point for you know a lot of suppliers and customers and just people we're talking to every day. Um, have there been any other kind of updates uh, more on a specific term of, of where things might go is kind of the consensus that it won't go higher than 10 percent? Or what, what have you heard from different people you're talking to? Oh, look, I think the chief economist from IHSC's name's Nariman Bavarash. You see he's talking head sometimes on uh, CNBC or MSNBC or whatever it is on the financial um, programs is really uh, calling for a ceasefire. And that seems to be what's in play at the moment. What does that mean? No further implementation, uh, but certainly not a rollback. I think that the current tariff levels will stay as a revenue, uh, but there'll be no further implementation. Uh, But that's pending a settlement on some of the hot topics, uh, intellectual property, uh, privacy, you know, and some of the other some of the other uh, topics that Pompeo talked about as well. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of been the consensus that I think we've heard, you know, around the office too is you know, not necessarily anxious to get it up above 10%, but, you know, whether it stays at 10% or whether it gets mitigated at some point, that's kind of to be determined. Because these tariffs have uh, had a big impact on the amount of competitiveness uh, in some sectors 
in some cases, uh, Chinese have swallowed uh, the tariff, uh, but in other cases, they've got export support or a weaker renminbi has enabled them to do business as usual. But it's had an effect in some of the industrial manufacturing in China. It's given them a much slower growth rate than they're used to. I mean, they're centrally planned and they talk about 6%. Nobody really believes they're growing at 6%, but let's say it's 4%. And if that's the case, they're probably now growing at 3%, which is a big impact. And you hear some of the industrial zones like Shenzhen and Guangzhou, uh, they've been impacted. Yeah, and we've heard too, obviously, you know, Javier Fernandez closely kind of watches the, the Mexico, Latin America, South America relations. And obviously that all that material that's no longer coming to the U.S. has to go somewhere. And, you know, right. the, the price, the price are going down down there as well. Yeah, the clearing price of some of these Chinese production facilities is going to find, you know, lower prices elsewhere in the world for sure. Yep. And uh, I think one other kind of relation we're keeping an eye on is the uh, relations with Canada. Uh, what, are, what are some of the things you're hearing with Canada? I think they've got that, uh, I forget the name of the new um, agreement. It's not NAFTA, but it's Canada-Mexico, and that's got to pass Congress. He might have a problem getting it through Congress, but the Canadians believe that it should be open borders. There's been a lot of concessions that have been negotiated. I wouldn't expect to see any uh, problem with Canada and Mexico trade agreements. That's not in the plan, I guess. But that could be one of the factors if there were, was a problem getting these agreements through Congress. That could be a factor which triggers let's say, more than the slowdown, more than slow growth, but potentially a recession. Yeah, I think that the new agreement they're calling it is USMCA, which literally just stands for United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement. So mm -hmm. yeah. very very original name with, with that one there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, lots, lots kind of going on in different parts of the world. Almost makes the world feel like quite a small place with all these different things going on and how closely some of this stuff, you know, impacts the chemical industry, either in a direct way with these tariffs or, you know, kind of indirectly with moving uh, raw materials to other parts of the world. So lots to keep an eye on, and I'm sure it'll be a big discussion down at the, uh, the AFPM this weekend. Yeah, it's always good to take away the thematic from these AFPM meetings. I mean, we have 20 or 30 or 40 meetings, each of an hour in length. And what can you really do? Well, you take away an impression. Uh, people in the automotive seeing uh, less automotive builds, is, construct is construction weaker, uh, is uh, flexible PVC weaker, are coatings, what, what's going on in coatings. So definitely a good time to pick up the thematic for 2019, at least the rest of the year. But I'm an optimist, Ben. I, I don't think that uh, we're going into any dire straits. I think it's just slower growth than we're used to seeing. We did have a stimulus package uh, that was in place since the recession and then another round by the new administration. So we're still on a bit of a sugar high. We've sacrificed in the short term for the long term, I think. Uh, but that'll start to work its way through. The second round of quantitative easing really wasn't needed. Yep. In the tax cuts, I don't know if they had much of an effect except for big business. And so I think the consumers started to figure that out, you know, disappointed with their tax return, I think. Um, and so that's meant a little slower growth than was forecast. Sure. That yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. Um, some of the other things you keep a, a close eye on, some different raw material pricing, um, upstream, downstream impacts, things like that. Um, what are some of the, the trends you've seen so far in 2019 and maybe some of the things you're maybe expecting to see as we get into the, the second quarter of 2019 here? Yeah. Ben, I, I think that shale gas continues to be abundant and so on natural gas pricing, you know, no, no one's talking anything higher than two bucks eighty, three dollars per million BTU. Uh, they're busting records in the production. They're building export terminals for LNG. 
And on crude oil, I mean, the forecast from IHS has got France at 65 to 70, really, in the next one, two years. So no real uh, change. I mean, just a, a flat line, very stable raw materials. We had OPEC talk as well with Mohamed Bakindo and uh, Fatih Barol from IEA, International Energy Agency. And they're also unusually uh, in alignment predicting you know, that 65 to 70 uh, Brent crude band. And at the upper end of that, the U.S. production at $70 per barrel will increase by at least 1 to 2 million barrels per day. So it'll blow beyond 12 million barrels a day if crude oil on the Brent was at that $70 per, per barrel. If it were $70 on the WTI, the West Texas Intermediate, then you're talking, you know, 14, 15 million barrels. So that more than offset the weaker production from Venezuela and the Iranian sanctions, which are expected to remain in place. In fact, another implementation, Pompeo really wants a zero quota on Iranian exports. And that means India and China will be looking elsewhere for their crude oil. So if that were the case, then this uh, U.S. shale oil is much needed to keep pricing low. Otherwise, we see numbers higher than 70 on the Brent. The other topic on crude oil was really a change in discussion. I remember 10 years ago, it was about peak oil supply. But now we've got so much abundancy in the shale oil that we're talking about really peak oil demand, what is happening in automotive and gasoline consumption. And that's going to taper. That's going to peak uh, in 2030, they say. There's a McKenzie study out there that the IEA references. But if you listen to OPEC, they see 1% growth in crude oil per, per year in demand, let's say 1 million barrels demand growth per year on a base of 100 million barrels per year through 2045 with no peak oil demand. So they're a little bit in denial, if you ask me. They don't see the electrification of the automotive fleet as being a bigger impact as some people do. And if that happens, this electrification of the vehicle fleet and this uh, peak oil demand, then petrochemicals become a much more important outlet of crude oil than they've been in the past. Let's say petri let's say crude oil had been about 8% of the petrochemicals, let's say petrochemicals had been 8% of crude oil demand, it could be 20, 25% of oil demand by 2030. That's a big structural change in the chemical industry. We have a lot of these crude oil to chemical projects going on. Exxon's got one in Singapore. You've got... Uh, Peng Li in China, and I think there's one other major, Saudi Aramco, of course, in the Middle East, looking at crude oil to chemical, taking out a lot of intermediate steps to make petrochemicals like orthoxylene, parazolene, benzene, commodities, which will really flatten the cost curve a little bit on the far right quadrant. They're extending massive scale production capacities as well. In petrochemicals, the world-scale plant is about 1 or 2 million tonnes. These crude-to-chemical plants are each 4 to 8 million tonnes of petrochemicals. So that's a big shift out there, let's say. They'll be mostly online in four years, six years' time, and out there in eight years' time. So that could have a huge impact on the supply chain and the trade flow in some of the commodities, orthozyline, parazyline, benzene, propylene, ethylene, plastics as well, polyethylene, polypropylene. That's on top of the shale gas and the shale oil, polypropylene, polyethylene investments that are already going in in Houston. So those are the main things to watch. And I guess just to try to make things as actionable as possible, you know, if you were uh, to give you know, kind of some actionable advice for people, you know, what are you seeing on pricing in the next couple couple months or next quarter or so? You know, a couple expect- of months in some of the downstream products. I think that let's watch out 
for, uh, you know, um, a turnaround season we have here in the United States, uh, just on these SABIC-type materials, butanol, 2-ethylhexanol, and all of their uh, downstream uh, specialties. We have a turnaround season here by Dow coming up. Uh, I think it's 45 days in Texas City. So they're knocked out of butanol. That will certainly affect butylglycol ether, which is already a bit tight, butyl acetate, and butanol itself. Uh, butyl acrylate's a little long at the moment, but that will probably tighten up once Dow gets into its turnaround season. And my former company, Oxea, they also have a turnaround 45 days at their Bay City facility, so that'll tighten up butanol and propanol. Uh, so I, I think watch out for that. Uh, we do have a slightly weaker propylene environment here in the United States on the supply side. You know, we're writing records with the reliability now of these PDH units, the on-purpose propylene from propane dehydro. Uh, the shale gas is having a big impact. People have built these PDH units and they're operating far more reliable than they were in the past. They're way up the learning curve. And so I would say here in America, propylene will probably decrease in March by two and a half cents a pound on the polymer grade and then remain quite flat moving forward for the rest of the year on a flat crude oil and a flat propane basis, probably till fourth quarter. And then we see prices start to move up again during the heating season and winter. Uh, similarly on ethylene, not much going on. The spot is quite low, 15 cents per pound. Um, contract was settled uh, down a little bit. Uh, so fairly stable on the uh, raw material cost point of view, let's say March, April and May. Uh, we have a very mild cracker turnaround season, but we've got those OXO turnarounds here in the United States, as mentioned. In Europe, it's a little different picture. Uh, we've got about 15 or 19 percent of the European crackers offline in the turnaround season, April, May and June. Already we've had some outages. In Germany, BPRP has had some problems in reliability. They've had an outage on propylene. And so that's a bit of a change dynamic. We see US uh, propylene prices moving down and being very low costs, where European propylene price settled up in March. And so we see European propylene price much higher than US propylene price. And so we see the arbitrage window open for propylene shipments from United States to Europe, which is a different dynamic. We've had this volatility uh, on the back of uh, PDH unreliability, where the US price has flown up like a skyrocket, 22 cents a pound in you know, one or two months. And now we see European prices really at the top of the price curve. So that becomes quite difficult for some of our European uh, producer partners, I think. So that's on raw materials. I mentioned a little on the supply side. We talked about the economy, and so that affects us a little bit on demand. I, I'm seeing orders coming in pretty much as per usual. Yeah, and something we've mentioned, I think, a few times on the, the various podcasts, too, is you know, obviously raw material pricing is one piece of it, but we've almost seen um, you know prices more impacted by supply and demand fundamentals, uh, whether it's logistics-based or, or where things are being produced or oh. outages or things like that. Yeah. You know, that almost plays a bigger part in some situations than you know, the actual direct raw material pricing. Yep. Yeah, I can only agree. Uh, particularly last year, we had a lot of problems in the European uh, supply domain with outages on the back of a record turnaround year in some of the domains. So this year, uh, there's more availability. Uh, so it's a little lengthier than it was last year. The question is, how is demand going? And so far this year, it's been a little mixed message. I think February wasn't as, as hoped for. And March started off okay, but might have slowed down a little. And speaking of uh, you know, supply trends and, and raw material pricing and things like that, um, we've obviously seen a couple um, 
supply disruptions so far? You know, this 2019 or kind of coming out of the end of last 2018. Um, what are some of the big uh, disruptions or, or different things that are going on, you know, kind of on a business level that we're, we're seeing in the industry that are, are making some waves um, around the different, you know, different parts of the chemical industry? Yeah. So the two things that have uh, got my attention so far has been, I kind of think they're related in some way because of the situation on acetone. There's a dumping duty case at the moment uh, on acetone. And that's the feed for some um, producers' uh, route to methyl methacrylate. And on top of that, you know, one of the producers of phenol, uh, advanced six phenyl acetone, it's a co-product of acumine. Uh, there's been some force majeure announcements in the short term because of some inland logistics problems with the flooding of the Ohio River. They have some cumin cargoes coming in, I believe, and so that will be lifted in the short term. Uh, fennel has been a very strong business for these guys at the moment, so acetone as a co-product has been very cheap. And internationally, it has been as well because of some new capacities in the Middle East. So United States has been taking cargoes of acetone, and as a consequence, uh, some of the local producers have banded together to go for an anti-dumping duty and a dumping case against the importers. And that's kind of related to also the Evonik methyl methacrylate business uh, sale, which was announced a couple of weeks ago, probably closing in September this year. A uh, private equity firm called Advent, which owned Oxea, I worked for them for about seven years. They paid $3 billion, I think I read, uh, to acquire the Evonik methyl methacrylate business, which includes the polymethyl methacrylate sheeting. And I came to find out this morning, it also includes the glacial acrylic acid business of Evonik, which is an interesting development. I didn't understand that. It partially explains the very high multiple uh, of 9X. And Advent are not known for paying very high multiples, I can tell you that much. But it now it came, to, uh, came to my attention that it includes the glacial acrylic acid business, which is a captive raw material for Evonik superabsorbent polymers. It's a big sale, uh, 3,900 people. Um, but interestingly as well, the uh, specialty esters stay with Evonik. So methacrylic acid to 2-ethylhexyl methacrylate and butyl methacrylate. The butyl methacrylate and the 2-ethylhexyl methacrylate stay with Evonik. And they've been bundled up, I read this morning, and put into uh, an Evonik water treatment uh, domain. So Evonik also invested uh, in some of their other businesses around the Nylon 6 and the HDM and the, uh, the fibers and compounds business. I think um, as a result of their sale to advent of the methyl methacrylate, I think they timed it perfectly. They probably got uh, maximum multiple at peak earnings and really as well strategically so that they could reinvest in some of these other interesting businesses that they're in, for example, DL-methionine which is a low, is a uh, amino acid which is used in animal feed. So I think, you know, those are the two things that I've seen at the moment. Uh, we've also seen some earnings um, coming out in uh, Q4 earnings season was, let's say, mid-Feb till uh, end of Feb, early March. Uh, Sassel came out with a disappointing earnings. Um, their volumes were down 11%, and so the EBITDA was down 8%. They also had a cost overrun at their mega cracker, uh, not by $1 billion, but by $4 billion, coming in at $9 billion now instead of $5 billion. Dow earnings were also down 5 or 6% uh, because of lower uh, volume in the fourth quarter. And that was a tone across the board. We saw that from BASF as well. Also in some of the coatings businesses, people like Allnex, they probably missed their budget by 20% in 2018. 
and then DSM, they did quite well, I believe, from what I read. Uh, other resins producers like uh, Nurion, the old AXO company, uh, they did quite well in the fourth quarter. So it's a little bit hit and miss. I saw a warning from Axalta as well. Uh, and then the other one was Sherwin-Williams. They didn't do well as they'd planned despite the acquisition of Valspar. So I think that uh, Q4 was very tough in the coatings and it hasn't really bounced back as strongly as a lot of people hope for. And I guess moving really into 2019 here, um, you know, any other big high level trends or any other kind of big things that you're keeping an eye on that you plan to, to watch out for in 2019? Um, I think we've got to keep an eye on raw materials. Um, as mentioned, you know, the uh, propylene uh, market is very weak at the moment. Um, I'm looking at, um, you know, these turnarounds uh, of Dalinoxate to help take a little length out of a potentially bit longer butanol market this year compared to 2018. Uh, so long as they're running reliably, I think from their point of view, from our point of view, uh, we're happy to pick up some incremental volume, that's for sure. Uh, with a very weak uh, propylene market, there's some additional lengths in, in those uh, molecules, which is forcing prices down, partially because of some big consumers like acrylonitrile units of Ineos and Cornerstone. Um, they're just not consuming at the uh, regular volume because of their force majeure. We've seen a strong polypropylene market help to offset that. Uh, and now lower uh, propylene uh, polymer grade prices here have given impetus to the PP makers locally to ramp their rates back up as they're more competitive compared to imports. That should help offset that. But if there were one outage on a PDH unit and the acrylonitrile guys come back, then you know that's going to rebalance pretty quickly. So it's something to keep a watch on. A lot of great points, a lot of good uh pieces of analysis and a lot of good info for obviously people to keep an eye on uh, coming out of Q4 2018 and really getting full blown into 2019 here. Um, any other final thoughts or notes to, to wrap things up here? Well, I think on the macro level, you've got to watch out for the administration. They've got to settle some of these deals, uh, you know, ceasefire with the China thing, uh, the China trade war, no further implementation of the next round, you know, settle the, settle the Canada-Mexico trade thing, and then any other geopolitical problems that arise out of, you know, um, North Korea or, um, or uh, you know, other topics, then that could be, you know, a surprise which could uh, tip us into a recession. Yeah, I think with the with the China thing too, it's it's not so much the ten percent or the twenty five percent or the zero percent. It's the the uncertainty. You know, it's either either put the tariffs in or don't. You know, don't say ten percent. Oh, maybe it'll go up this month, and then a week later, oh no, we'll push it out indefinitely. You know, say say what it is, say what it isn't, so businesses can can plan for it and just kind of kind of move go. on past it. Exactly, you got to be able to plan for it. Awesome. Well, appreciate the time, Steve. Right, um, would love to love to have you on again sometime soon. Maybe we'll do a, a six month recap and and see what we were right on, what we were wrong on, and, and make some projections right. for heading into twenty twenty. Um, mm -hmm. Looking forward to seeing you next week at the AFPM, and obviously anyone listening that'll be at the AFPM. We look forward to to meeting with you or or and or seeing you at our cocktail party on that Sunday. Uh, should be a, a good week and a good event. Yeah, four thirty at the Jack Gunther Pavilion. Is that right, Ben? That's correct. That's very correct. Uh, Thechemco.com slash AFPM has all the good uh, info on the cocktail party. Obviously, we'd love for you to RSVP, but you're more than welcome to just drop by and, and drop a business card and say hello. You know, a lot of 
good food. We have a lot of people that plan dinners afterwards, but I think they're turned into more of like appetizers because we have such such good food at the party. Everyone it used, is always well usually leaves, yep. leaves pretty full. Yep, excellent. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. Thanks. See you soon. Thanks, Steve. Pleasure to have you. Um, as always, feel free to scroll down wherever you're listening to this podcast on. Uh, we'll have a bunch of links um, from some of the stuff Steve had mentioned and some of the recent shows he was at. Um, whatever we can share with you guys, we're more than happy to. Uh, so feel free to scroll down or, or check out the notes section wherever you're streaming your podcasts. Uh, as always, available on the Apple App Store, um, Android App Store as well, uh, thechemco.com slash podcast. You're always welcome to stream it there. Um, we'll have this episode up on YouTube as well, uh, as well as LinkedIn, Facebook, all the good social media channels. Uh, we appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time.